needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and a big Scrooge fan. Hi, I'm Miles Reed Lobato. I am a science fiction writer, stand-up comedian, and a Walson Gromit fan. Okay, Walson Gromit's never actually Christmas-themed in and of itself, but it's a kind of warm Christmassy feeling you get whenever you watch Walson Gromit. Here on Casual Trek, we normally watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on a big list, best to worst, giving out Cole and... What's the opposite of Cole? I should know this. Oh, no. Am I giving away how bad... Book tokens. Oh, love a good book token. Yes. Um, Two for several episodes of Star Trek that we've seen before, and a couple that we're going to watch and talk about today. Now, we both love Star Trek, but as it's far from our first fandom, we are the ultimate objective voices on what makes a Star Trek episode good or bad. And today we're we're doing something a little bit different. So at time of recording, it's mid-December, and it's actually snowing here in Brighton, which is insane. We so rarely see that. Uh, but that feels thematically festive. And um, when you're listening to this, uh, or at least any of the uh, the people hot on that podcaster, podcatcher button thing, you'll be listening to this on Boxing Day, hiding from your family, probably, and having some nice leftovers. So we're going to be getting in the festive mood by both picking an episode for each other as a gift will it be good or terrible um yeah well we've we've made some choices choices were indeed made yeah yeah i um i do have to thank emma for helping me track down a suitable episode to gift you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you thank you so much (laughs) So, um, yeah, before we go on, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Well, I am currently reading a book by possibly my favorite writer, um, who is uh, Michael Moorcock. And he recently um, published by Saga Press a new novel in his long-running uh, Elric series, and this is called The Citadel of Forgotten Myths. And honestly, after like the last few books he's put out have been more kind of of his literary um, type of writing, it's really nice to read a book by him, which is fully in the pulp fantasy mode of we have our heroes, they go to a place, shit tries to kill them, and they kill back. Nice. And what about you, Charlie? Well, for me, I've been uh, out to see a show. I've been out to see famous novelist, writer, doom scribe, Garth Marenghi. The Dreamweaver himself. Yes. 
yes, it was a joy to see on stage. He was reading part of Terratome and then had some uh, questions and answers with the audience. Have you read Terratome yet? Only a little bit. Not as far as he read, actually. Um, so, oh. yeah, at some point I'm going to have to. And yeah, I managed to get a book signed by him to Emma and myself. So yeah, it's I get the feeling it's probably going to be a read on her commute before I get to it. But um Gotcha. Because it's actually not legally available in the States, um, in any form apart from audiobook, um, I had to listen to the audiobook, which was read by the Doom scribe himself, and it was it, it fits in with his uh his particular style and oeuvre. Yes, there were there were some moments of horotica which were read out. <laughs> yes, he also mentioned about how he is often erect while writing. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, he says what we're all thinking. Yeah, yeah, I think we could all tell. <laughs> so, shall we get on this uh, Star Trek sleigh ride? Yeah, so... Um, ooh, what's, what's this gift that you've got for me? I, um, I, I like what you've done with, uh, trying to wrap it. Yeah, it's, um... Do you, do you know how hard it is to wrap an, an episode of a TV show? It's a bit tricky, isn't it? Okay, all right, let's... Yeah. Okay. Oh, ooh, it's... I should have known from you. This is an episode for Star Trek <laughs> original series. Yup. Yeah, it's um I have given you a gift of my personal favorite episode of classic Star Trek. Oh dear. <laughs> I I mean not for this, for my gift to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, that's that's incredibly kind. Uh this is uh, No problem. From season one, it's episode 12 called The Conscience of the King. Let's see, this episode aired on the 8th of December 1966. It's one of those rare Star Trek old school ones where there wasn't a separate story in teleplay. All the words were done by Barry Trivers, and it was directed by Gerd Oswald. The UK and US number one hits were Tom Jones with The Green Green Grass of Home and the new vaudeville band with Winchester Cathedral. A rare cathedral I've not actually visited. Huh. I, I mean, did it deserve its own, its own song? Because I've not heard Winchester Cathedral. I've, I've never heard of this group before. No, the group, the song... I'm assuming Tom Jones had the bigger cultural footprint there with the green, green grass of home. Well, it's, you know, Tom Jones, Welsh, um, women's underwear collector of stage and screen. Yes, I'm, I'm guessing the new vaudeville band don't have such a collection. No. And of course, everyone knows, you know, Tom Jones from his... So what was that? Oh, I was just assuming that the new vaudeville band don't have their own collection of women's underwear. Well, they'd have to collect it themselves and not had it, like, physically thrown at them. Hmm. I guess, I guess that ruins the, the intent of that collection at that point. I don't know. Never really ruminated on such things. No. Right, best move on quickly. <laughs> yup. 
I am setting the timer. Okay. Because it, it is on you to to uh, describe this episode in five minutes or less. Or more. Let's be honest. Five minutes or more. Let's see if we can... I've seen my notes. Let's see if we can drag back our times into good areas after Sean threw us off our game last episode. Yeah, that's what you get for complimenting us, Sean. Yep. Okay. And engage. Okay, so the episode starts strong with a medieval setting and a stabbing. Wonderful, love it, no notes. Thing is, this isn't a Renfair planet, this is a play. They've still got Macbeth in the future, which I'm kind of pleased about. And Kirk's here enjoying it, but there's a reason he's here. His mate, Tom Layton, who's missing half of his face, although at this cold open, you don't see all of that. You see it kind of looking a bit eye-patchy. Tom is he's not here to appreciate the arts, but instead he reckons the person playing Macbeth is Kodos, the Executioner. No idea who that is, but the nickname really isn't a good sign. So, what's going on here? Well, the Enterprise was lured off course to Planet Q, no relation to Q, by Leighton promising some kind of food concentrate that should cure all hunger. But this turns out to be a lie. It admittedly is a bit of a far-fetched one. But um, he's lured the Enterprise here because of the whole Kodos thing. Kodos killed a lot of people, cost Leighton half his face, and then died at the hands of a few good Starfleet officers, including Leighton and Kirk. There wasn't a body, which is a bit suspicious. And because of this, Leighton's going to try and lure Anton Caridian, the Macbeth actor, along with his whole troop to a cocktail party, and he wants Kirk there for this. Kirk is understandably pissed off because he's going to have to lie about this, cover for his mate, and uses a, a very talkative library computer to start looking up details about Kodos and about Caridian. Kodos was apparently a eugenicist and murderer, killing 4,000 of his people after they were uh, suffering a food shortage. He died 20 years ago, and by a weird coincidence, we only just started seeing any records of Caridian during that time. And he also has a 19-year-old daughter. Is Kirk going to try and get off with her, despite being almost double her age? Why, yes. Yes, of course he is. So, the cocktail party doesn't quite go as planned. Uh, Caridian doesn't show up. Instead, he sends his daughter Lenore. She played Lady Macbeth to uh, Caridian's Macbeth Macbeth, which, uh, right, um, yeah. Um, there's no latent kind of big denouement scene or anything like that, so everything kind of just ends amicably. Kirk walks Lenore home and finds Leighton's body. Oh no, he's been murdered. Uh, Kirk calls up the Astral Queen who were going to give the troop a lift off world and tells them, don't do it, leave them behind. I'll, I'll take their place. And when Lenore is kind of stuck without a lift for her and the rest of the theatre troop, she pops up to the Enterprise, asks for a lift, which Kirk, of course, planned, but Spock wasn't privy to. So he's a little confused by this. And, you know, the idea of Kirk knowing things, which, yeah, fair. 
Kirk looks to see who's left that could identify Kodos, and apparently it's just him and a lieutenant in comms called Riley. Kirk decides he's going to transfer Riley to engineering, which is apparently a step down. And while Riley assumes that it's for bad behavior, no reason's actually given. Spock has a bit of a chat with Bones about the situation, and Bones is busy having a drink, trying to tempt Spock into having a tipple, and no one talks about Bones's odd-looking skull collection here, which is pretty small compared to my partner's, but, you know, he, he can work on it, I guess. Spock backs up the whole latent theory about Kodos as he's started to look into things and is a bit suspicious as well. Riley, over in engineering now, is all alone and is pissed off about his current his uh, job change. So he phones up for Rec Room and asks Uhura to give him a song while he drinks his milk. She plays and is so swept away in the moment he doesn't notice a shadowy figure poisoning his drink. Now, the good news is, because he was on a call while he was dying from being poisoned... He was able to be saved. Apparently, he was poisoned with lube. Hmm. Oh, oh, what a a moment to go on. What a moment. And you're doing so well. I was. I was. I was way further down than I thought. All right. Okay. Let's go and engage. So. Lube-based poisoning. I admit, I've never heard of it as something to poison a drink with. Who knew? Spock and Bones decide to confront Kirk about what's happened and kind of want in, but Kirk's, you know, busy dealing with it himself because, you know, he's Kirk. He finds a phaser that's overloading and apparently it could blow up an entire, like, a lot of the ship, which, what were they filling phasers with back then? Or was the ship genuinely made of cardboard back in those days? Who knows? Anyway, he flings it in a space bin and it gets shunted out into space before it explodes. So day is saved. Kirk finally confronts Caridian. And we've had so long of this without even seeing him um, outside of the cold open. So yeah, he asks if Caridian is Kodos and gets the reply that, you know, if you think I am, Maybe I am, which is not an answer. Uh, Caridian has a bit of a go on about man and the meaning of man. And it, he's a bit of a thesp and takes even these kind of confrontations as a performance, evidently. So, yeah, he's old and broken and all but confessing about everything that's gone on. Lenore confronts him about bullying an old murderer. And um, Riley, in all of this, he's back up from the lube poisoning. He overhears Bones mentioning that his whole family's been murdered, which is not great, and vanishes from sickbay. Meanwhile, a performance is still going to go on in the Enterprise, despite everything that's going on. Apparently, Kirk was powerless to stop for, to stop theatre from happening. So that's all, you know, starting off. And Riley shows up trying to kill Caridian, which, uh, fair, given everything that's gone on. Kirk stops him, and finally we get verification. Yes, Caridian is Kodos, but he hasn't done the recent murders. He hasn't murdered anyone in about 20 years. Instead, shock horror, it's Lenore. She snaps pretty much right away with all of this. Kodos 
is shocked. He was trying to get past the whole, you know, murder thing. And Lenore digs deeper. She says she would kill entire worlds for him, which is a big no-no, even for a potential Kirk girlfriend or child bride, I guess, in this case. But Kirk is done with this. He won't let the performance go on. And Lenore just wants that at this point. So she lunges at the stage with a stolen phaser. She tries to shoot Kirk. People are running away. So I'm not sure who she's performing to at this point. Like an empty stage if she got away. Anyway, she doesn't. She tries to shoot Kirk and Kodos dives in the way, saving him at the cost of his own life. Oh, the irony. Lenore has completely gone at this point. She reckons her dad's still alive. She's being probably institutionalized somewhere and um yeah as as things wrap up bones asks if kirk really loved her and he gives a kind of a bit of a knowing smile um to that which apparently is is answer enough right and that is three minutes and 58 seconds huh okay all right so yeah i I tried to find you a Renfair Planet episode. <laughs> I failed, so I got you a Renfair theater troupe in space. Oh, it's nice seeing a theater troupe doing this kind of thing, you know? In Next Gen, you get your jazz band kind of things and all that, but it's just people doing, like, crew doing reenactments. That there are genuine jobbing theater troupes out there in the universe does make me quite happy so what did you think it was a fun one i wasn't quite sure because we didn't discuss the reasoning behind these originally it was like oh okay like seeing the theater troops quite quite fun and i had no idea where it was going it was curious and not seeing kodos for most of the episode but then most of the energy is towards lenore and kirk and i i was doing a lot of kind of on my notes, scribbling down, hang on, Kirk was born on this year. Like, Kirk's 37 at this point to Lenore's 19, which is not great. But, um, no. No. But, um, yeah, it was good fun. We got to see that the Enterprise has a day-night cycle. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I, I, I think they've, like, referenced it in, like, shows like Next Gen. Mm. Like they have specific shifts, but in I don't know, you never you never really seem to get a sense of how ship life works. Yeah, in the original Star Trek, outside of like the early episodes. I mean, one of the things I I really kind of like about the early first season of Star Trek is that they do try and make the ship feel communal. Yeah, and then after a while, it just becomes the Kirk, Spock, and McCoy show. So. The little bits we have just, like, the crew hanging out in the rec room or watching theatre. Always really nice. Um, I love Shatner in this one. Yeah. Like, Shatner really gets to deliver some, like, Shakespearean drama. Yeah, despite not being dragged into the performance or anything like that. he's He's got the love. He's got the betrayal. He's got his old friends from before and trying to kind of maneuver a man who he doesn't even know whether or not he is genuinely his like his enemy from 20 years ago god so you would have been 17 when him and his mates failed to kill kodos 
as well. I think he was like on the colony as a child for a bit, and like he was a bystander. I don't think he was like the the one who kind of. I think he was like Riley, who was just there, Mm. and then things got out of hand. I don't think he was like one of the people who helped, who brought, who took the planet back. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Like Riley looks younger than Kirk as well, so he must have been even younger at that point yeah one of the really big illusions i you know this really pulls from the shakespeare tropes even having a play within a play being used to sort of ferret they use hamlet at the play at the end they perform is hamlet which quite famously has a scene with the play within a play which hamlet uses to trick his uncle into revealing that he actually killed hamlet's dad so I thought that's what they were going to do, like use the play to trick Kodos. Yeah, like you have the bit where you have where you have um where you have Kirk make Kodos read out one of his old speeches, mm. and like you said, like Kodos Kurdian isn't present until like the twenty thirty minute mark after the ship nearly got destroyed by the incredibly loud overloading phaser. Yeah, and then it cuts suddenly to Kodos in his room and it really feels like that's a there's some really good visual directing in this in this episode definitely i think the the lack of Kodos is quite interesting in keeping uh that sense of uncertainty of you know i was yeah trying to remember oh we saw him in the cold open we've seen pictures of Kodos i mean those could just be two old white men I'm not sure. And you start to doubt yourself and go, oh, I mean, I'm guessing it's Kodos, but is Kirk going to freak out and, you know, fuck up uh, an old actor? Probably wouldn't be the first time. Well, yeah, yeah. He's known for it. It's why it's a surprise that he was allowed in a theatre anyway. <laughs> um, like, there's so much of this, of this, of this episode which really d- feels not how we see in a lot of classic trek where kirk is keeping his plans and his thoughts to himself and then you've got spock and mccoy trying to work out what his plan is and there are some really good moments from letter nemoy spock when he's when he's talking about the genocides and the exterminations and how spock even in his very kind of repressed, emotionless state, is still very clearly passionate that Kodos received justice. Yeah, it's nice that they're not... Bones and Spock aren't just bumbling around after him. They do hit the right conclusions and the right kind of attitude towards the situation. But also, we're, what, 12 episodes in, and... These two are both his kind of um, the people that he seeks advice from, you know. So for him not to do that is really interesting. Again, you know, it's definitely those sort of um, the, the Shakespearean overtones of the story. I would say he is more the Hamlet figure than a Macbeth figure because you know he is operating by him, you know, by himself. You know, the only person whose career he's or life he's risking is his own. Yeah, there's definitely those Hamlet-ish vibes, which, again, I I don't try to 
to predict things in a in an episode of TV show in that kind of oh obviously it was the uncle kind of thing. But um, so you're not that much of a Twitter. You're not you're not that guy on Twitter. Oh God, I I used to live with someone who who was like that. Uh, a massive Trek fan, Ash, who love him wonderful guy but also it gave me nothing but joy whenever he would go offhandedly go well obviously this is the answer in the plot and whenever he was wrong and it's extremely petty and i shouldn't have had that inclination but it's showing him the wire was amazing for that and the same with oz because they were both shows where it'd be like oh obviously it's this and no no um, no see um I finally got to see Glass Onion uh, a couple of weeks ago, and while my brain was trying to work, was trying to guess it all out, I had like these little moments when I I love it when you're watching something and then your brain kind of puts together what's going to happen, mm. and you kind of I always kind of feel overjoyed. That I'm kind of keeping up with the film oh, and yeah. not that I'm out guessing because like that's the fun of the myth, like that's the fun of a good mystery. Like a good story. A mystery invites invites an amount of that. What I mean is slightly mm. less that kind of the instinct to best the plot, you know, to go. The idea that if you can if you can if you the the viewer can guess it, that means you're better than the people making it. Yeah, yeah. That you've outwitted them, which mm. is always interesting when you see some things like, for instance, um, a show I've previously been a fan of on here, uh, Lost, where you'd see people go, oh, no, it, it was obviously this. And it's like, yes, you've worked it out exactly when the writers wanted you to work it out, you know, about five seconds yeah. before the characters did, because then you feel smart. It's it's all right. We we all hit that point. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting show. I, I think I've seen so few original series what episodes but it's fascinating seeing these kind of ones where most for mystery was just on the ship and it was is this guy this mass murderer or are we going to see a nice play and it's not your typical kind of pulp sci it's it's not your typical kind of pulp sci-fi is it aliens kind of tos like you know this is 1966 mm. so we're just twenty. We're just like twenty, a couple of decades off World War Two at this point. Yeah. So this is definitely playing on those. You know, oh, you know, we've we've got these. We've got Nazis in hiding in Argentina or Venezuela, or you know, Hitler faked his death, and it definitely also plays heavily on the vibes, which I'd think would be more prescient. Not okay, not prescient, but vibes which I think would carry much more stronger to viewers who may have served in the war. Yes. Then the kind of disconnect we have, you know, a good 50 or so years later, but it's playing on, on issues and ideas and the real world in a way which isn't hitting you over the head with them. Yeah. Well, it's, um, and we were saying about, um, errand of mercy previously with that kind of space vietnam sort of things um but this definitely feels closer to to reality in that sense of yeah you would get you do get war criminals that ran off 
hid, pretended to be other folks because they they know what they've done. And sure, this yep. guy was a lone actor, but he is exactly in that same that same sort of field. And he's he's a broken man. Mm. Well, yeah, and that he wants to he wants to move past it. You know, he wants absolution for all of this, but he knows it's never going to come. And I, one of the things I was really curious about as the episode was drawing to an end is, you know, is this going to be something where he's neatly arrested and sent off? Is he going to have to die somehow? Like, how do you answer for that? And the, the delicious result that happens where Lenore, who's been doing all of these murders all this time, where she ends up killing him and he dies saving someone. And I mean he probably didn't want to be dead, frankly. But it's it's I I don't know because this is the big tragedy of the ending. The tragedy episode isn't that Kirk may or may not have fallen in love with someone who is completely murder crazy. It's that Kodos's daughter, um, the one thing that he wanted of his life, which wasn't contaminated by his actions of the past, the past still catches up with him, and it's destroyed his daughter. And in the end, the tragedy is that he's killed by the one thing he wanted to be clean and pristine of his life. Oh god, it's incredibly tragic for him with that like he's done terrible things and yeah that i'm trying to think i'm sure i've seen this kind of horrible generational tragedy in this way in other in other popular culture but yeah it's um it's definitely a rough one for kodos Uh, x-men yeah oh god well yeah (laughs) there's definitely a an amount of that with some folks look at tyler dayspring you know See, I I was just gonna say, um, Scott Summers getting high on Dark Phoenix energy and, and snapping Charles Xavier's neck. Well, he didn't he destroy his heart or something instead. But either way, either way, I feel Professor X had it coming. <laughs> but, um... Right. So, where are we putting this on the big list? Oh yes, the big list. So, for those of you unfamiliar, maybe you're you're listening to this as a Boxing Day treat for the first time maybe you're seeing the i'm assuming shorter runtime and giving us a trout here we have a big list of best to worst of all the different star trek shows and we currently have the pilot for deep space nine titled emissary right at the top we have 27 entries so number 27 the lowest of the low is still Broken Bow for Enterprise, and it's going to take a bit to um, to push that kind of up from the last spot. And um, yeah, what, around the middle, we've got... We've got Enterprise at like number 13. Yeah, number 13, the Andorian incident, which was good fun, actually. It was the first good Enterprise episode that we saw, which says a lot, given it's the middling point here. So this is definitely one of the higher original series ones that I've seen, although it does have, I guess, the things we're measuring here are not only the quality of the episode, but also that footprint that they've got. Because, you know, this 
this is really good, but it also has there's no lasting impact for it. We don't see Kirk going, "Oh yes, I my time with Kodos and having to deal with all of that." My mate Leighton, who's dead. I mean, I say that I've I've seen a handful of original series episodes. He might be mourning Leighton and have a a photo of him with his you know covered up face in his quarters i did some trivia this was not a popular episode when star trek first came out because this one's really light on the big sf craziness Mm. so it didn't get repeated in the regular syndication for quite a while and time built up its reputation as people watched it ronald moore who would go on to create battlestar galactica cites it as one of his favorite episodes of Star Trek, um, with its combination of both storytelling and the moral drama that Kirk faces. And honestly, effort up to me, this would go number two on our list. Because I think this is my most viewed episode of Star Trek, because it has a really strong, even if not sf idea, it has a strong, it has a strong plot, it has a real. It has some really fantastic acting, and it has a really good story, which I never feels flag. Flags are kind of ebbs. It's a perfect fifty-minute runtime, and yeah, I can put this on whenever. So I'm not refuting that it's it's good. This is a good episode. In fact, the the thing that um, people may have noticed in my recap, the name of the ship that gets called off, being the Astral Queen, is something that is used again in Battlestar Galactica as a leisure ship. Uh, Something I mainly remember because I've played way too much the BSG board game. But um, yeah, it's a nice little nod that Ron Moore did. So the thing is, this plot, you could put this in other shows. You could put it in the Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers, the 60s Avengers, with someone who was a, a murderer in World War II who's escaped or and gone to ground as a, a kind of an actor, that sort of thing. And while it is a good script, a good story, it's, I think I'm... I'm kind of hitting that point where you look at our list and the top six have, you know, you've got Emissary, Strange New Worlds, House of Quark up top, but then you've got some real classics with Trouble with Tribbles and Mirror Mirror, both of which are kind of foundational texts, it feels like, to the popularity of of Star Trek and the kind of the stuff it does. I will give you a TV show you couldn't put this story into. Mm-hmm. The 1960s Batman. Oh, that'd be great, though. It you would know, be great, though. Batman needs to track down more Nazi criminals. Yes. I mean, that would still have to very much be the 66 Batman. But yeah, I'm, mm. I'm down for that. So... All right, so is this better than The Cage? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon it's better than The Cage. Like, The Cage, while it is technically a foundational text, you know, people survived not seeing it and seeing all of the rest of Star Trek. You know, it's it's not really the first experience most people had, given it aired quite a bit later than um, than the rest of the show. 
And then the important question, you know, this is this is the big fascist v fascist battle. Is this a better episode of Star Trek than Mirror Mirror? Uh I mean, they're both good. I think I found Mirror Mirror more just fun. Okay. You know, it's it's got some some wild moments in it. I don't know like this is this is good. It feels a bit God, it feels terrible to go, I prefer my Star Trek dumber. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, boom boom. <laughs> I prefer some of the bigger, weirder things. And that's terrible because yeah, that is oh yeah, played for cheap seats and all that. But yeah, I I okay, get what's so... being the suspense. But I think I prefer Mirror Mirror overall. Okay, it's it's not what I would go for. But in the spirit of egalitarian compromise, I, I am willing to put this in another seven slot. Wow. Well, there we go. We have our new our new number seven. And um And your number seven. And in, in case you're wondering, um uh, my cat Willie didn't watch this. He 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 sat down next to me. I said to him, no cats in this one, Willie, and uh, Willie just got up and walked out. That's fair. Okay. So, um, as always, my cat's list of favorite Star Trek is still Cat's Paw. I think I've got every Lower Decks episode listed afterwards. Oh, yeah. Right. So, that's that's um that's this that's my present to you put on the big list. Now, what you get me? What you get me? What you get me? Oh, well, uh, I, I've wrapped it up. Um, I will say... Um, I appreciate that you custom-made uh, the wrapping paper. I'm a little upset that the wrapping paper is basically the words Fuck Blake 7 written over and over again in Sharpie. Yeah, I got this just for you. I, I, I noticed. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unwrap it, and I really hope we're going to have some unwrapping sound effects um, to maintain the illusion put on under these. And, oh, you, you got me an episode of Enterprise. Yeah. You got me an episode of Enterprise titled, hang on, um, it's titled Future Tense, and... Is this an NFT? Did you get me a Star Trek Enterprise NFT? An Enterprise FT? Um... An EFT? Okay, so you got me an episode of Enterprise. You know, I would have taken the call. <laughs> well, you, you said you liked Star Trek, so what's more Star Trek than a series named after the Enterprise? Uh, okay, fair enough. Um... So this is Enterprise Season 2, Episode 16, Future Tense, which is written by Mark Sussman and Phyllis Strong and directed by James Whitmore Jr. It originally aired the 19th of February, 2003. And number one hits. Um, This is the college years. Oh, God, yeah. U.S. number one was Jennifer Lopez with All I Have. Mm -hmm. And in the U.K., a song I remember, but <laughs> not for the quality of the song, let's be honest, um, is uh, Tattoo, All the Things She Said. So, I have an anecdote about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you do. 
I think we. I think everyone who knows this song, everyone has the same anecdote. Well, I I studied um, librarianship at Brighton Uni, and librarian parties could get pretty drunk. And I was out in Woodingdean at um, at a barbecue, which had kind of just stretched on through to the evening, and we'd drunk most of the house and. It had got to the point where I lost games of magnetic darts against a child because I was so drunk that I couldn't hit the dartboard. And we'd set up a scoring system where if I hit the dartboard, I got a point. If she hit the bullseye, she'd get a point. And um, <laughs> the husband of, the, of um, my classmate, who was the host of it, um, he was an interesting man. Um he had a giant cardboard Lara Croft in his toilet and had, like, not posters of tattoo, but printouts, like, colour printouts of tattoo stuck on his living room slash office wall. Okay. So we'd got to the point of drinking tequila because it was all that was left and eating toast to try and just soak up all of the alcohol of the day and he was explaining to me in that way only an extremely drunk person could but he loved his wife so much that he could put those pictures up and it would be completely fine because she knew his love for her was always going to be far more than his love for tattoo and that's yeah that's my main experience with the band tattoo that's kind of disturbing not gonna lie yeah yeah i ended up not knowing how to get home, so I had to crash on the, the bed of their, their kid, who wasn't there, luckily, and woke up realising that there was a load of Lego in the bed. So, yeah, it harrowing experience around. <laughs> on that note, uh, set your timer. Okay, and engage. Right, okay. The Enterprise is in deep space, and they come across a distress signal. This distressing is coming from a a pod of some kind, which is the size of your average um, Brighton big wheelie green skip. They bring it on board and they phase their way in to find a human corpse. But no humans have ever gotten out this far. Mystery. Credits. Best opening theme song to man. You cannot stop me on this one. Faith of the heart. Boo yourself. You got me this present. You have to deal with my love of faith for the heart. So they are investigating this big wheelie bin in space. And they think it's Zephram Cochran, the uh, the guy who invented the warp drive and then promptly vanished. Meanwhile, um, Malcolm Reed and, and Trip Tucker are going through the pod. And they find that it has a basement. Something this size shouldn't have a basement. Wait a second. Oh, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the out. Hey. How clever, Charlie. So, as they're investigating the 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 bin, the wheelie bin, they realize that there might be some dimensional transcendental time travel shenanigans going on. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Dr. Flox is investigating the human body, and he makes a discovery that the genome structure isn't just human, it also has some elements of Vulcan and Tylurian, and that this might actually not be from the past, but from the future, where um, humans have interbreeded with other races. 
to Paul is just like, nah, time travel doesn't exist. That's stupid. I think this is dumb. And Archer is like, no, time travel's a thing. Legit, I guess that this is some time travel temporal Cold War stuff that we've not seen yet because we're watching the show out of order. Meanwhile, a Sulaban ship, the PS1 aliens from our first episodes, arrive and demand that they hand over the pod. As they're doing this, some Sulaban appear in the the cargo bay where the pod is and the Enterprise and try and nick it, but uh, Reed and Tucker make a valiant effort to thwart their plans. The Sulaban are chased off, and the Enterprise makes a beeline for the nearest Vulcan ship, which they're going to offload the pod onto so it can be taken back to Vulcan to be properly researched safely. Then another series of ships turns up. These are the Folians, and they also want the pod back. And Archer's like, nah, no way. Um, they get. I'm guessing that there was a future crewman on the ship for a while because they left his room and his stuff exactly where it was so they can consult space wikipedia and uh archer narrows this pod down to be a ship from the 31st century which people from the 31st century have sent back in time to investigate the past for research reasons and that we have separate factions of the temporal cold war trying to claim salvage rights to basically nick the technology the suliban and the folians attack we realize that the Vulcan ship has been crippled, but the crew have been left alive. Meanwhile, the pod has been causing time loop shenanigans and make Trip and Malcolm repeat the same 30 seconds as they're discussing time travel. As the battle wages, Trip has found the black box of the end of the timecraft and is trying to reactivate it, while Malcolm and Archer try and set up a warhead so they can trick somebody into taking the pod and then blowing it up but they're stuck in a time loop so they keep doing the same instructions over and over again a bit like me when i'm trying to reset the internet at home mm. but as all these different things go on our, um trip is able to reactivate the distress beacon and the corpse the pod and the beacon disappear into the future oh. um realizing that they're not going to get anything uh, the Sulaban and the Folians um, just kind of go. Time. The time. Time. Yeah. Time. Very, okay. That, that wasn't a, a related to the recap time. That was a times up time. Right. Okay. Someone stopwatches ready. Yep. I was just realizing this is going to get confusing when we do a time loop episode as well. We're going time. So, oh no. Right. Should we start again? Okay. So, stopwatch ready. The Sulaban and the Philians just decide to kind of drift away, much like my attention during this episode. And Archer and T'Pol have a nice little sit-down where Archer wants to apologize to the Vulcans for getting one of their ships um, attacked and uh, disabled. And yeah, he's actually being nice to T'Pol. So clearly stuff has improved in the show. And... Archer says, hey, you know, maybe in the future, the idea that humans and Vulcans can interbreed is a sign that things will get better between our two races. And T'Pol just kind of just shrugs and goes, yeah, I I don't think there's ever going to be a human Vulcan child. Yeah, what would that This is foreshadowing like? for the rest of Star Trek. This is an eat this. This is unsubtle foreshadowing. 
Spock is a thing. <laughs> and episode ends. Okay, that's a minute and five seconds. Mostly shouting, though. <laughs> Mostly shouting. But that's all right. Yeah, so, Tom, how, how do you like your gift? Um, you know how last episode we reviewed a good episode of Voyager? Of Enterprise. Of Enterprise. You know how last episode we um we reviewed a good episode of Enterprise? Yeah. We're we're right back to um we're right back to watching not good episodes of Enterprise. God, this this had way more potential than it actually could deal with. Okay. I know why you got me this episode because Bigger on the inside and then out and then time travel. But honestly, the British sci-fi thing that this reminded me more of at the beginning. Mm. Have you ever heard of Quatermass in the Pit? Yeah, I've never actually seen it. It's a very good six-part serial and a fairly decent condensed Hammer Horror movie. Mm. Um, essentially, while digging a while digging up a part of London, a a capsule is discovered, which is at, firm, at first is presumed to be a unexploded German bomb. But as they uncover more and more of it, they realize that what they have found might actually be a spaceship from when ancient Mars colonized the Earth. Right. And how Martians are responsible for what we believe to be ghosts due to Martian tampering with the human um, genetic structure and as things goes on the part the 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 part they the missile they find the martian ship is actually affecting people psychologically and in a way that the pod the the missile itself is actually alive and absorbing energy and as i was watching this this was what i thought of first so i thought "Ooh, is this pod they found going to be like sentient or it's going to start draining the ship or start playing merry havoc with time yeah it also made me think of the episode of red dwarf where they find what rimmer presumes to be an alien spaceship but what lister knows to actually be one of red dwarf's old garbage pods which leaves us with with the great line it's a garbage pod it's a smacking garbage pod um so when you're thinking of better episodes of other tv shows instead of concentrating on your actual tv show that's never a good sign no because essentially this episode could be boiled down to the enterprise finds someone's rubbish and has to deal with some fucking seagulls trying to get at it i love that comparison actually that that works distressingly well like this this was not good, but it had, again, like with so many episodes, every episode of Enterprise we've watched, not called the Andorian Incident, it's more, there is some good potential here mm. being ruined by non-application of potential. Yeah, it's surprising, really. Um, the idea of a time traveler coming back and, you know, finding finding remains of a time traveler that came back. That's a cool idea. There are, I'm sure there are brilliant horror movies that could come from that. And and wacky sci-fi plots, you know, of like, oh no, time's going weird around it. That's a cool artifact. But no, the plot focuses so much on the Suleban and the Tholians. And 
Like we don't even get to see any of the any of the cool stuff inside. You know that whole bigger bigger on the inside space. We see at the back wall in the pod there are circular designs which look like they they could have been kind of cod Gallifreyan almost. See again, that's one of the bits that made me think of Quatermass in the pit because inside the ship they find in the pit there are cabalistic symbols mm. etched on the inside. Um, again, a good use of this. Like, have you ever read House of Leaves? No, no. It's one I've been meaning to, but never got around to. Because, again, like, if you had Trip and Malcolm go into the, this tiny pod, it's actually bigger, and then they get lost inside it, that would have been a really good yeah. story. Like, you know, actually... You know, I, I feel bad when I have to rag on Enterprise, because I don't want to rag on Enterprise, because everyone rags on Enterprise. Yeah. Like, I, I want to be able to go, hot take, Enterprise is good, actually. But then Enterprise keeps giving me stuff, which makes me go, everyone might be right about Enterprise, actually. Yeah, I when people are starting doing that inevitable kind of contrarian reevaluation. You know, like when folks went, oh, the prequels are actually all right. So, well, in this case, people rediscovering Enterprise when it's on streaming. So that's, it's still not great. I mean, it feels like Paul's a bit better at acting at this point. But, you know, it's... Oh, and Reed got stuff to do. That's nice. Yeah. At best, the characters aren't being so flagrantly racist. Yes, God, that was a relief. Like it, it was nice that the per that the one person who was who was kind of disturbed by the idea of Vulcans and humans um, cross breeding wasn't Archer, but actually Topol, because you know that season one Archer would take that news badly. Yeah, like I, I don't. <laughs> I have very little to say about this, and I feel bad about that. It's just that, you know, it's... <laughs> I should have kept the receipt. You should have kept the receipt. Like, this is this is the roadkill episode of Star Trek. They find some roadkill, and then get into an argument over who has a better claim over the roadkill. <laughs> wow. Fun fact, speaking about... Um, I was actually at a Christmas party with some friends of my parents years ago, Hmm. And there was this one friend of my parents' friends who was a dullard. I'm just going to say it, he was a dullard. Wow. And he was telling us that apparently the law concerning roadkill is that if you hit a deer accidentally in the road, you can't take it. But the next person who fight, who drives along and finds it can legally take it and take it home and eat it huh. because they found it. And not, they accidentally, you know... So I guess the idea is, if you accidentally ran over a deer and took it home, there's the implication that you could have done this intentionally, whereas if you find it, you're just using what you found. Weird. Yep, we are discussing uh, laws concerning roadkill. Rather than future tense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, this there's a really... There are, like, you know, you could use that... The one, like, inciting incident... You could have spun 
in so many different directions. Yeah, there was so much potential. And then it, and then it took the brave creative decision to go with none of those. Yeah, well, you know, it's the shooty plot where where they get to do all the kind of I don't know space violence kind of. Although there's not really exciting space violence. No, it's like you know. Like, you know, this this is... I remember one of the big selling points for Babylon 5 back in the day was that, yes, the CG looked cheap compared to Star Trek's uh, model work, but at least the battles looked visually interesting by having ships just kind of zoom in and out and shoot stuff. Mm. Instead of... We see in Star Trek, which, you know, until they had the CG to do it in DS9, usually was, okay, shot of a ship shooting a phaser, cut to someone sitting in a console going, they fired at us, we, the deflectors held, we're returning fire, pew, sound effect, pew pew, we fired, they've missed, it's, um, it, it's how combat always feels when playing, like, a tabletop role-playing game, where you're basically describing the action in the most, um, banal way possible, and not putting any kind of, you know, energy into it. Oh, I hate when that happens. Um, yeah, I know that kind of thing. Playing um, playing games like D&D, far too often it feels like it takes a long time to get around to your turn, and then I hit, I do four damage, and then wait for ages. It's why a lot more kind of to get on my, my uh, indie RPGs you know, art wanker, story game fan, Charlie Etheridge Nunn, kind of high horse, going actually a lot more fiction first, initiative lists, or kind of popcorn initiative sort of things where it bounces around and people are doing dramatic things. Like I want a player to be doing gestures of how they're, you know, swinging off a chandelier or whacking things with an axe, uh, that kind of thing. I want to get pumped with all of that kind of that brilliant energy that happens and when it is i take a turn i shoot i missed i take a turn i hit two damage it's why i don't like turn-based combat in video games i think this is why i haven't played pokemon for the longest time ah see for me the handheld nature of games like pokemon or jrpgs on the switch or 3ds in general Oh, my favorite way of digesting those because you can have something else on. So the turn-based nature, I can I can have gel with a bit more. Now, the writer of this, I I regret to inform you, will will have credits on forty-one episodes of Enterprise between story editor, uh, writer, and teleplay. So uh, yeah, we got we got some more Mike Sussman coming soon, probably. That's uh, that's going to be a joy. Apparently, the there was going to be there was an attempt at making it shapeshift well, into a police booth at some <sighs> point, but that got overridden, understandably so. Uh, understandably. Okay, so big. This is definitely a lump of coal. So, <laughs> question: yeah. When it comes to the big list, is this better or worse than Broken Bow? Wow. Okay, starting strong there. Um, shit. That's... I mean, on, the... <laughs> on the spreadsheet, I do have 
in the what's it about column, it is just Quatermass and the shit currently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, right. Pros and cons because t- spot 25, Strange New World, is where it starts to get bad. So we've only got four bad episodes listed, and this is definitely joining them. Broken Bow, stuff happens. It's got that in its favor. It's long is is a problem. I would say the one high point is that our main characters seem to have been given a bit more time to kind of grow. Yeah. So Trip to Paul Archer don't seem as prickly as they were in the and in the Andorian incident, but at the same time, now it just feels like they have that there is no real character sparkle moments. Yeah, aside from the accent, I can't really determine what Tripp's personality is. Tripp's personality is Southern. Okay. Like, that's, that's ba- like, he has a clear Southern accent, so therefore his personality is basically, he's Southern. It, it's like in British shows when they have, like, a, a Cockney. That's their personality, basically. Cockney. <laughs> of course. I guess the biggest problem here for this one is that nothing really happens. It had it had potential and it squandered it. Is that worse than not having potential in the first place? To me, yes. Okay. Because, like, you know, the caretaker shows its potential and shows a lot of really interesting world building which we know they're not going to go with Hmm. um the four i think is completely worth it just for the end when janeway enters the program oh and she just dismantles the clown guy just by not playing broken bow has faith of the heart (laughs) and that might be it like you know how do you know how bad this episode this episode is? Mm. I'm not even joking about putting it on in number one list for Faith of the Heart. It squanders Faith of the Heart. Wow, I mean, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything that merits it it being higher up. And the thing is, what you've said about character growth in that they're not bad, there's just not enough of them. Um, I'm hoping later later Enterprise will will redeem that. And actually, people on the War Rocket Ajax Discord accidentally spoiled that Trip and T'Pol are going to become a thing later on, which is shocking to me at this point. But um, I I am curious to see how on earth that happens. So um, yeah, it's I gather it gets better. But we're definitely not there yet. So, God, much like the top being mostly DS9 original series and and a little outlier with Strange New Worlds, because we've only looked at one, the bottom feels very Voyager and Enterprise heavy. And (laughs) I know there's good Voyager out there, and I just have to hope, I have to hope that there's good Enterprise as well, Um, beyond the Andorian incident. I know Voyager-wise, we will eventually get to cover the Bride of Chaotica. Yes. 
with all its black and white Flash Gordon Republic serial campness. <laughs> okay, so it feels like a momentous decision to put this at the worst point in Star Trek, <laughs> but I... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there'll be worse somewhere, but but yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the the trouble is, I think the ones that would be the worst might be the ones which everyone goes, that's the racist one. <laughs> oh god, yeah, yeah, like Code of Honor and that. Which again, people can definitely pay us through our Kofi to uh to talk about sooner rather than later. So on, on the subject of that. Yes. When you watched this and we briefly had time loops, mm-hmm. did you kind of regret choosing this episode? I did slightly. Um, it will it will make uh, the time loop episode, which is coming up thanks to a wonderful anonymous Kofi purchaser who has requested cause and effect. It will make that episode a lot better for them and for us. Uh, for now, I've made this worse for both of us, and I can only apologise. No, no, this is this is quintessentially what British Christmas is all about. Disappointment. Disappointment in trying not to start a fight. Yes, God, we've not had any fights start, although we did have one year where my brother had, and he used to have epic nosebleeds until he had something cauterised up there. And he managed to bleed on everything. It was the last time that my dad visited during Christmas. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's because, yeah, seeing a fountain of blood from from his youngest was a bit stomach turning. There, it was impressive. I I had like for years this He Man, like the new adventures of He Man, plastic shell spaceship looking thing. Oh, the the Starship Eternia. Yeah, I, I had I had that. There were grooves and bumps and little holes and all of that. And for years, I was scratching out little bits of dried blood from that. Oh God, I I'm not gonna give like a serious bad worst Christmas ever story. I'll give a funny one instead. Where um, one Christmas, BBC One was showing the '90s Super Mario Brothers movie. Hmm. And I think I got food poisoning because midway through the film, I projectile vomited. Wow. Um, so, okay, in hindsight and going back and watching the film as an adult, it's actually really fun. It is a dumb movie that doesn't know what it's doing. But yeah. Dennis Hopper's King Cooper is essentially the best film we're ever going to get about the Trump administration, and it was made in, like, the 1990s. Yeah. So, okay, last thing with Future Tense. Are we satisfied with every episode from now on going, the worst episode of all Star Trek is Future Tense? Maybe, because, you know, if you think about it, with the idea of Future Tense... In the future, things can only get better. Wow. So we have a new bottom of the list with future tense. Wonderful. We've done it. Yeah, we found lower. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how long it stays there, I guess. See, the question is, with Emissary, will we find higher? Each time that we see an episode that I've not seen, 
I'm like, ooh, could this be it? Um, but not today. Not today. No. So we have a top 10 entry and a bottom entry. What a, what a great Boxing Day treat for everyone. Right. So I'm going to go um, have fun with the uh, leftovers of the Christmas goose. I'm probably going to drink more whiskey and play Mario Kart with my brother. I'll be honest, I'll probably be at work because Boxing Day is not a thing over here in the States. Oh no. God, make it a thing, States. Go on. <laughs> I'm sure that'll tell them. That, that'll tell them. This, this podcast will do it. Um, so all that's left is for us to play us out. So uh, you can find us online on the Nerd and Tie site and on Kofi, which there's a link to down in those show notes. You can find me on skyshark.itch.io for my comics and RPG things. I have a link tree, I think under the name Skyshark, which wherever I end up in social media, it'll be linked to there. And uh, what about yourself, Mars? Well, at the moment, you can find me on Twitter at atmanmiles. And if you want to read my uh, book reviews and opinions on stuff, I have actually recently formed a blog. And you can find me on www.mareadlobato.wordpress.com. The link will be in the show notes. And you can go there to see my opinions on stuff, which is not Star Trek. Yeah, your reviews are always good fun on Facebook. So it'll be interesting seeing this age of blogging slowly returning. I've, I've revived my old RSS reader because of everything that's been going on with stuff like Twitter making me rediscover not micro blogging but general blogging which has been quite nice um speaking of which i do put up on fakestales.com brief little bits about our decisions with episodes and little bits of information that didn't quite make it into the show for casual trek so yes what fun yeah so that's it from us have a nice boxing day and new year yep America, where you know, ha, Christmas is over. Back to work. Back to work. Yeah. Anyway, happy holidays to everyone. Yes. And all that I have to say is, you know, as always, as we go into the new year, go do a Starfleet. Yep. And live long and eat jelly, baby. Ideally, a festive one. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.